Merry Bowl season and welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com and as always I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. Happy Bowl season. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Doing great, Brett. It's an exciting time of year, as we've talked about. Already had some really exciting bowl outcomes. We are no doubt going to be in store for a few more, probably at least a couple in the handful of games we're going to be talking about today. So um, it's always fun talking bowls, and uh, it's great when we get some chaos, which which we love to see. Yeah, boy, chaos is is certainly a word for it. If you're holding uh, an Old Dominion ticket that was anything shorter than plus three, I'm so sorry <laughs> to, to see that unfold, uh, win the turnover battle handily, and, and blow a 28-0 lead. That's what bowl season is, though. I enjoyed the game. <laughs> it, 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 was am- it, all, it was amazing. Yeah, it, it tr- truly was, objectively was. Um, if you lost your money, very sorry about that one. But before we get into it all, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter, at the lines US. I'm at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at KFord Ratings. We'll be here breaking down the remainder of the college football postseason slate, as well as every single bowl game left on uh, the schedule. Saturday, busy day for bowls. December 23rd is what we're talking here. We've got seven games on tap, starting in Birmingham and finishing with, delightfully, the Hawaii Bowl after dark. So if you're itching for a little bit of Mountain West after dark, uh, for the, probably for the, the, the last edition that we get this season, this is going to be for you. But let's start with the Birmingham Bowl. We have Troy, a seven and a half point favorite against Duke. This game carries an over/under of forty-four and a half points. Kicks off at noon Eastern on ABC from Protective Stadium, which houses uh, UAB and is one of our thirteen primary FBS stadiums hosting bowls. Duke, lots to go over here. They turn over the entire coaching staff. Riley Leonard, of course, transfers to Notre Dame. They could be without seven other starters, five defensively. And I still haven't heard anything on uh, their star uh, defensive lineman, Dwayne Carter. So it really could be more than that. Duke is going to be very shorthanded. I don't think there's many teams that are more ravaged or even as uh, cleaned out as Duke is here between injuries, transfers, and the NFL draft, and, of course, those coaching changes. On the other side, though, Troy is turning over their coaching staff as well, but they don't have the same personnel uh, changes that Duke uh, has here. They played in just one one-score game during Sun Belt play, won their last 10 consecutive games, including that Sun Belt championship. I mean, Troy is absolutely rolling. Uh, of course, they're not under John Summerall anymore, but what a job he did uh, in his two years there in Alabama. Uh, an interesting question that I posed when looking at this game, are Duke's number twos on par with, say, like Louisiana's number one? Uh, you know, it, it, what kind of roster is Troy going up against here, and how can we compare it against who they played? Duke's team composite uh, talent ranking at 247 Sports is 67th, so that's actually, you know, not that much higher than some of the other uh, Sunbelt teams that they're playing. App State's like 84, Louisiana's 97, so like losing your top players, all your best players, kind of brings you down to maybe a mid-level Sunbelt team, uh, and that's kind of the way that I looked at this. At this side of seven, though, it's tough to, to you know, lay the points with Troy. Uh, in, you know, Duke's potentially without their two best defensive linemen. So I expect Troy to look to Kamani Vidal, uh, who led the Sun Belt with 1,350 rushing yards this year. However, the Trojans' passing attack was actually what carried this offense toward the end of the year. They really hit their stride. And Gunnar Watson finished 24th in overall passer rating. Yeah, Brett, bowl season means something different to just about everyone these days. Depends who you ask, um, if they even want to be playing in the game, right? But if you go back to the root of bowl season, it was about rewarding teams that had phenomenal years. And these two teams are the epitome of just that. 
per my power ratings, this is the best Duke team since 1994. It's wow. the best Troy team ever, Brett, at least since 2001 when the Trojans made the jump to the highest level of college football, which is what my data set includes, only teams playing at the highest level at any given point in time. So while both these teams had great seasons, Troy's, and you talked about it, Brett, it was slightly better relative to the expectations. The Trojans finished in the top 15 in both power rating improvement and wins relative to expected. Despite the notable opt-outs, Brett, that you, that you touched on, this is the type of bowl game that I personally get most excited for. I'm very, very excited about this one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. This, you know, we, we see a couple of these every, every year where like one of the teams is very good, very motivated, and has a chance to make a real statement win at the end of the year. I see more continuity in Troy, of course, and I think they'll be able to move the ball pretty well against a Duke defense that uh, the cupboards are pretty bare uh, for this game here. I actually like over 26.5 team total for Troy. There's multiple ways that they can score on Duke. Duke's secondary is a big concern. It's very injured right now. Their top corner, Miles Jones, has not played in a long time. So I think that Troy will be able to move the ball through the air and counter with a, with a strong run game without Duke's defensive lineman there. And I also I kind of like over 44.5 as well. Without Riley Leonard week seven on, Duke still moved the ball pretty well, and they scored points. They averaged 31.5 points in those four games. Uh, never went under 24. So final note here, Troy does have a decided travel advantage. They're just 136 miles away from Birmingham. Moving forward, we have the Camellia Bowl uh, between Northern Illinois and Arkansas State. Arkansas State now a three-point favorite here with an over-under of 53.5 points. It also kicks off at noon on ESPN from the Crampton Bowl. If you are not familiar with that venue, I've seen football happen there. Um, it's certainly a venue. It's in Montgomery, Alabama. Anyway, this line moved off of Arkansas State plus one and a half to open. It's been all one-sided. Have not seen really any buyback on NIU, although the line has stalled from time to time. These are two teams that are largely intact, although there are a couple of notable outs here. Northern Illinois, the receiving core, boy, between injuries and the transfer portal, they don't really have much left, and that's been the case kind of all year. Trayvon uh, Rudolph is really the big name here, dynamic returner, receiver. He's not playing. He did transfer away. Arkansas State missing a few defensive pieces up front. But for the most part, these are the same teams that we've seen at the back half of the year. Notably, quarterback Jalen Rayner turned this team around from, what, they were last, I think, in the power ratings really early on in the year. Like week two, week three, I think after they got crushed by Oklahoma, they had fallen all the way to the bottom. And now they turned around and are a pretty formidable team. I and mean, here they are in a bowl game. So they had a game this year where they scored 77 and also had a game where they had 73 scored on them. So this team is, is big, uh, big swings here over the course of the year. But I... I I think if you're betting on this game, buckle up. I think this has the potential to be a very frustrating game. Northern Illinois, 61st in red zone scoring rate. Arkansas State, 112th. That's been kind of the bane of these two teams' existences all year. And then on top of that, Arkansas State is also a bottom 15 team in penalty yards or top, depending on how you look at it. Uh, they are they're very heavily penalized. So you're talking about inability to score in the red zone, lots of penalties. They don't turn the ball over that much, but... Anything can happen in a bowl game, of course. My worry for the Huskies is the lack of depth in the receiving room. Rocky Lombardi can't really do it all on his own, but the biggest strength for NIU is their two-headed backfield, and Arkansas State, they don't defend the run very well. Yeah, Brett, I don't think enough people are talking about the season Arkansas State just had. I mean, coming into the year, I had the Red Wolves power rated number 113. So not great, but there was a buffer between them and the bottom of FBS. Then... 0-73 to 73 happened in Norman. 
three to thirty-seven happened against Memphis the next week, and the Red Wolves plummeted nine points in my power ratings in three weeks. And I rated them as the worst team in the nation, number one thirty-three out of one thirty-three. Yet somehow this team turned it around. They won six games, ended the year with a higher power rating than they started with. Brett, I mean, wow. pretty remarkable when you stop and think about just you talked about the swings. You know, giving up or scoring seventy-seven, giving up seventy-three in one year. It's crazy. NIU, they had quite the turnaround in their own right. After an overtime win on the road at Boston College in Week 1, which really raised some eyebrows about both these teams, the Huskies dropped four in a row and were number 111 in my power ratings. They rebounded to win five of their last seven, make a bowl, and finish number 96 in the power ratings. If you would have told me in the middle of September that one of these teams would end 2023 with a winning record, I, I, just, I simply wouldn't have believed you. Like I would have taken a lot of money to say, yeah, that's just not going to happen for either one of these. Here we are, and my numbers like NIU by about two in this game. You mentioned it, Brett. There's always going to be player availability, coaching changes, motivation levels, all these factors about bowl games, but you mentioned it. These two teams, by and large, looking like in this game probably what they're going to be, what they looked like the last half of the season. So I do think there's some validity here with the numbers. My numbers like uh, NIU by about two, uh, which makes it official. My numbers assigned Arkansas State a 50% win expectancy or less in every single one of its games against FBS opponents in 2023. Take that for what it's worth. Hey, they're going to be underdogs in all these games. They found a way to win uh, five of those, right? One of them was an FCS, I believe. They found a way to win five of those things, so uh, they might just do it again here in bowl season. Yeah, you mentioned that 37-3 result uh, against Troy. I had just tweeted out a whole uh, long string of, of stats and advanced stats and how players are doing this year. And Jalen Rayner was one where I'm like, guys, adjust your power ratings on Arkansas State. And then they go out and just get absolutely belted by Troy. Uh, so that was a little bit embarrassing. But like in the long term, it was... I was on the right path, but yeah, for the fact that that immediately turned around and and happened, that was a woof. That was not great. I'm just, I'm just telling you listeners. I know this is a betting show. Go take a look at Arkansas State's schedule and just look at the results they had this year because it was wild. And because it's Arkansas State and they play in the Sun Belt, nothing against the Sun Belt. It's probably the best G5 conference moving forward, in my opinion. It's a little bit off the radar though, is the point. Just go look at their schedule and their results. Wild to see just the weekly swings. Yeah. And I'm going to, Kind of, I'm going to bet on those swings. I'm actually going to take NIU over 25 and a half points. Now, the reason I'm not taking the spread here or them to win outright is because their defense, while had, they've been pretty good this season, they've had a couple just head scratchers, allowing 37 to Central Michigan, 27 to Kent State in the finale when they had like quarterback four. Uh, yeah, I, I just I cannot rely on either of these teams at all. That's why I'm not going to take a position on the spread. But I do like NIU to score some points here. Kind of, you know, whatever you bet. Prepare to be uncomfortable with it. These teams have been Jekyll and Hyde all year, both of them. So, uh, yeah, it's a crapshoot. I have, I have no idea on the spread here, but I do like NIU to be able to score on Arkansas State. We move forward to the Armed Forces Bowl between James Madison and Air Force JMU, a two-and-a-half point favorite here with an over-under 41, and it kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC from Amon G. Carter Stadium, one of my favorites in the country in Fort Worth, home to TCU. Uh, we are not expecting uh, temperatures near zero like they were last year, which actually, believe it or not, of all the bowl games that we have, I know most of them are Southern, but you have the Idaho Potato Bowl, you have the Fenway Bowl, you, you have some above the Mason-Dixon line. This 2022 Armed Forces Bowl was the coldest college football game, uh, bowl, college football bowl game ever. And it happened in the state of Texas, which it's interesting. Um, anyway, 
JMU turned over the entire coaching staff. Like, everyone's gutted. They're all gone. They have a ton, ton of pieces in the portal. Now, supposedly, they're all going to play. But if they don't, James Madison could be without a dozen starters. That includes starting quarterback Jordan McLeod, who's terrific this year. A 1,000-yard receiver, Elijah Surratt. Star running back Tyson Williams. Like, on defense, their superstar Jalen Walker's in the portal. And probably... He still landed on some All-American teams, but I, I believe he was deserving of, of first-team All-American. Jalen Green, he tore his ACL in like week nine, and he had like 17 sacks. So these guys are not playing. Uh, they're also without their starting center, who's out for the year with an injury. So James Madison could be without a majority of their team. Air Force, they did win this bowl game last year. It's their third straight bowl in the DFW area. But they also lost their last four games after starting 8-0. Now, that kind of momentum scares me a little bit, or the lack of momentum, I should say. But all of those were without their quarterback, Zach Larrier, who Troy Calhoun believes might be able to play. If he plays, this is a very different team. And it's, it's weird to talk about a service academy that way, besides, you know, Malcolm Perry. Um, but usually it's not that case, but with Air Force, Zach Larrier, 8-0 when he, when he plays, 0-4 when they don't. Thanks for the reminder about last year's temps in this game, Brett. I had totally forgotten. And, yes, I do recall now, though, just that really, really cold streak that we had there in the Plains and even North Texas, as you talked about. So I totally forgotten about that. Glad we're not going to be sub-zero again uh, for this bowl game. I'm also surprised, though, that that is the coldest bowl game we've ever had because, as you mentioned, we That's do have some – yeah. yeah, we have games in December in northern parts of the country – you would think some at some point would have been colder. Anyway, uh, good fact there. Uh, wasn't tracking on it. You just touched on this, though, Brett. Uh, after Week 9, these two teams – or excuse me, going into Week 9, these two teams were a combined 16-0. and 0. Um, After Air Force was – let me restart this. At, going into Week 9, these two teams were a combined 16-0. and 0. Air Force was ranked, and the only reason James Madison wasn't was because the Dukes were ineligible as they completed the second year of their two-year transition period from the FCS. From that point on, these two team seasons could not have been more different. Brett, James Madison, they continued their momentum through the end of the year with their only blemish coming in overtime against App State. The Dukes burst onto the FBS scene in 2022. I truly did not think they could do any better than they did a year ago. They proved me wrong. They won three and a half more games than I projected, which makes them number seven on my overachievers list here. James Madison also finished number seven on my list of power rating improvements from from preseason to current, rising more than nine points in the power ratings during the year. Just a phenomenal year for James Madison, and I'm excited that they have this opportunity to compete in a bowl game because, as we know, that wasn't a given, given this transition window that you have as you make that transition from FCS to FBS. For Air Force, it looked like the Falcons were on pace to have their best team of the 21st century before a shock loss to Army was then followed by a shock loss at Hawaii and then two more losses to teams that ultimately competed for the conference title, of course, UNLV and Boise State. Ultimately, it was a season of what could have been for the cadets, and Brett, they ended up being power-rated worse than both the 2022 and 2021 Air Force teams, at least by my numbers. My numbers, which again, don't account for opt-outs among other factors, like James Madison by about six and a half points in this game, pitting two teams that are on polar opposite ends of the forum spectrum, as you talked about. I've started to see this number creep away from James Madison. There were threes on the table. Uh, now we're down to twos. I don't know if that's going to continue or not. I, I, I think 
like I said, the the there, there's so much going in opposite directions here. You have the big time motivation for James Madison, their first FBS bowl game. Uh, you know, in theory, they should have that, but I think Kurt Signetti leaving kind of takes a little bit of that away. And like, there is the potential that the transfers just don't play, be it some, be it most, be it all. I don't know. I mean, we're seeing guys that are announced to not be playing the day of, like we saw with Frank Harris and UTSA in the Frisco Bowl. We didn't know until, what, an hour before uh, kickoff that he wasn't, not even. I think it's when he came out for uh, pregame warm-up. So, like, are you going to roll the dice and be holding a JMU ticket and then Jordan McLeod and Jalen Walker and Elijah Surratt and, you know, all of them decide the day of that they're not playing? Like, I'm not. I, I don't have a JMU ticket. And if these guys do play, I believe JMU is is the right side. And they, handily so. Like you said, six and a half points. I'd take that even more. Uh, because of how they're playing and, and the motivation behind it. But I just, I haven't bet on this game because there's just so many unknowns that could change the day of that right now, the way it sits, Air Force is the only side that I would play right now. Just because you don't know. So proceed with caution. If all these players play, JMU's likely the right side, but I just, I'm hearing little bits all around the Twitter sphere and other pockets, like things like that, that these guys might not play. Brett, that's just good general advice for bowl season with regard to betting, in my opinion. Proceed with caution. Like, that's just blanket statement, period, right there, exclamation point. Um, yeah, you talked about uh, Harris. We don't know. So proceed with caution is great. And, again, if at full strength, that's what my numbers would make this one. Um, I'm certainly excited, though, for James Madison, as I talked about, having a chance to, to play in a bowl game this year. They did earn it. All right, we're moving to one of the most iconic bowl games we have on the slate, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, played on the Smurf turf. We have Utah State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgia State. No MAC team involved in this one. I mean, that's what happens when you have, what, 12 Sunbelt teams making bowl games this year. So this game carries an over-under 59-and-a-half points, and it kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, like I said, from Albertson Stadium in Boise. Uh, the under took a big hit on Wednesday. We're recording on Wednesday. It dropped from 62 all the way down to its 59 in some spots, and it looks like it could be going down more. Why is that? Well, you look at uh, Georgia State, a couple things going against them. Number one, this is the longest trek for a bowl team that's not going to Hawaii. Hawaii is a cheat code because there's 2,000 miles between us, you know, the mainland and, and the island. So, But, yeah, if you're looking just on the continental U.S., Georgia State has the longest trek to Boise. They also are without their 1,300-yard rusher, Marcus Carroll, who transferred to Missouri, so he's not going to play in this game. They're also without the backup running back, their number one star, uh, their number one receiver, a starting tackle, and a few defenders. So this is a team that comes in this game pretty shorthanded uh, by all accounts here. They also carry the longest losing streak among bowl teams. They lost their last five games of the season after starting 6-1. and one. So all the transfers is pretty troubling. You couple that with the losing streak, and... To be honest, does Georgia State want anything to do with this game? Maybe. Maybe these backup kids come in. You see it all the time. Backup kids come in. They play really well. But I don't know, man. And you look at Utah State. Levi Williams, the quarterback, I assume will start this game. He's the one who in the Idaho Potato Bowl a few years ago for Wyoming rushed for over 200 yards. Uh, he, he can be a baller. But the Aggies have been playing musical chairs with their quarterback all this year. But I think the reason Williams gets the nod is because he's actually foregoing his final year of eligibility to join the Navy SEALs. Uh, I think that that's something where they say, hey, we'll let you start your last game or at least play a majority of the snaps. I, I do believe that this is the guy that's going to suit up in this game. That's also a nice motivation boost for the team. You know, your, one of your leaders, locker room leaders, is going off to 
to serve for his country and a, a very difficult, uh, you know, Navy SEALs. And I think that's a something you want to rally around and play for. So uh, you're also looking at Utah State having a decided tri- travel advantage, like I said. Uh, this one's pretty cut and dry. Utah State all the way for me. First and foremost, Levi, uh, thank you very much for your service. Looking forward to, to seeing you go through that process. That would be incredible to become a Navy SEAL. Obviously, not in the cards for me, that's for certain. But great amount of respect for those that are able to do that and have an interest and willingness to do so. So thank you for that. Um, less important, but for the topic of this conversation on the podcast here, um, this is my favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl game Brett, uh, name, Brett. And it isn't even close. I know the Duke's Mayo Bowl has gotten really popular recently, and I can understand why. It's a pretty iconic celebration. We have the Pop-Tart Bowl this year. It's getting <laughs> some love. and Again, that's fun, too. But for me, I don't know if it's because I did grad school at Ohio University and Ohio got, I got a win in one of these games or what. But for me, it's really always been the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. It, that's just like a perfect bowl name, in my opinion. I absolutely love it. And it's another Mountain West versus Sunbelt Bowl game here. I mean, this might create a little conference-wide rivalry as these two seek to potentially supplant the American as the best group of five conference moving forward. These two teams took very different paths to bowl eligibility. You kind of touched on it there, Brett. Georgia State, they reached six wins in mid-October, and they didn't win the rest of the season. While Utah State, they needed overtime at New Mexico during rivalry week just to reach that six-win mark. So despite the different paths taken to get to this point, both of these teams finished within a win of their projected preseason realistic expectations and within a couple points of their preseason power rating. So the model fairly dialed in on both these teams, even if the route to get to the end point was different than maybe we expected. With both defenses ranking in the sub-100s, even at full strength, the offenses should have their way in this one. And Brett, I wasn't surprised that the total was north of 60. I know you've said on Wednesday here, day of recording, it's come down a little bit already. So clearly things are going on. I'll go back to what we said on the last one. Proceed with caution. Yep, I. but like I said, I'm going to stand by it. Utah State for me, I'd still bet it at this number, even though it's moved through. Uh, you know, quite a few points, I think four and a half points at this point. Uh, this Georgia State team has all the writings of coming out flat, like you saw with uh, Georgia Southern, their rival in, in their bowl game, who came in with their own four-game skid. I'm going to be honest, I actually played a little bit of an alt-line, minus nine and a half in favor of Utah State. I'd get that plus 215. I just put like quarter unit down on that, a little bit of pizza money, um, just to see where it goes, because I do think that this has the potential for Utah State to come out and just absolutely clobber a team that's been sliding and Comes into this with zero momentum. All right, I had to look this one up. I I don't know how I feel about the name change. We go through it every year, but we are talking about the 68 Ventures Bowl, formerly the Lending Tree Bowl. We have South Alabama, a 16-and-a-half-point favorite against Eastern Michigan. This game carries just an over-under of 46-and-a-half points. You don't often see a spread this high paired with a total this low. Uh, it kind of tells you what odds makers expect out of this one. This kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN from Hancock Whitney Stadium, which is a home game for South Alabama. That's where they play their home football games. Eastern Michigan, their starting quarterback, Austin Smith, hit the transfer portal along with a starting guard and one of their top pass rushers. The backup quarterback, I looked at him a little bit. He has a pretty nice arm, but you know all of his film is from a different level. It's not FBS, so when you look at his numbers from the FBS, uh, they're not great. He hasn't been able to complete passes at like a 50% clip so far. So we'll see. But as we've seen all bowl season, who knows? This kid will come out and light it up and, and we'll all look silly for doubting an Eastern Michigan will cruise to a 20-point win or whatever happens during bowl season like this. But, Kelly, I'm going to be honest. Even at this number, 
I wouldn't bet Eastern Michigan if it was somebody else's money. This team is just not very good. I think we'll get into it with your numbers here soon. But their best win on their slate, Buffalo, who ranks uh, 114th in my aggregate of power ratings. That Seriously, that is the highest ranked win that they have. Southern Alabama, decided edge and strength of schedule, strength of record. Um, and as far as six-win group of five teams goes, I don't think there's a team better than South Alabama. Um, they're the highest rated in the power ratings by far. Like, it's not even close. And they're only behind seven teams nationally in the Power Five that have six or fewer wins. South Alabama, their defense is very strong uh, until they're not. They shut out Marshall. They held Arkansas State's 14 points. They mostly held Troy in check. Uh, but then they gave up 55 to Texas State, 33 to Louisiana. So, again, a mixed bag of defensive efforts. The 68 Ventures Bull, Brett. Reminds me like what you're making like your Twitter, <laughs> Twitter handle and what the 1 through 67 Ventures were already taken. So you're at 68 <laughs> Ventures Bull. I'm kidding. I know it's a, it's a company. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the name. We'll say that right away. We go from the famous Idaho Potato Bowl to this one. That's a steep drop. And also, Brett, you talk about it, steep drop in terms of quality here, at least with regard to Eastern Michigan. At number 122, EMU is by far the worst power-rated team to be playing in a bowl game. The Eagles, you touched on this, Brett, they did not beat a team power-rated better than, I'm going to give them number 112. Uh, you said Buffalo was 114. For me, for me, for me, they're 112. That was their best win all season. And their power rating, the Eagles, that is, fell nearly a full touchdown over the course of the year, which ranks in the bottom 10 of all of FBS. This was the worst team in Ypsilanti by my number since 2015. Five bowl game previews in a row here, Brett, featuring a team from the Sun Belt. Like you said, I guess that'll happen when you have 12 of your 14 teams going bowling. While South Alabama finished the year 6-6, six and six, which is a game and a half worse than my preseason realistic expectations, half of the Jaguars' losses were by a single possession. And at number 56 in the power ratings, this is actually the best South Alabama team in my data set, which for them dates back to 2012 when the Jags made the jump to FBS. At face value, these are two 6-6 six and six teams from G5 conferences. But digging just a little bit deeper, Brett, and you went much deeper, this should be one of the most lopsided games of bowl season, at least on paper, again, Take my numbers and any power rating with a grain of salt during this time, but I understand here why the line is what it is. South Alabama, I really don't care who's playing or who's not playing, more more importantly, they should win this game. Will they cover? That's for everyone to figure out. I would be shocked if they lost this game outright. So when you're in bowl pick competitions with like confidence points, this one was just a straight-up winner. This one, very, very high on the list for me uh, for South Alabama. Yeah, this is, my, this is my top one. I put 43 confidence points on it just because it is what it is. When you look at – you talked about half of their losses being one score. This is going to be interesting to project in the next season when you look at mm-hmm. one score wins and losses. These are their wins against FBS teams. 33-7 over Oklahoma State. 55-7 over ULM. 55-3 over Southern Miss. You have a 21-14 with uh, Arkansas State, but then they shut out Marshall 28-0. When this team wins, they destroy you. That's what they've done all year. When they lose, it's usually pretty close. Sands are opener with uh, Tulane, and then uh, just that Louisiana game was real weird. Um, but, yeah, th- this is a team that if they're going to win, they-, they are going to absolutely crush, and that's why I think the number is where it's at. We did talk about 68 ventures. I do have to bring up it is kind of a local-ish. Uh, Daphne, Alabama is where it's based out of, and it is a real estate company, according hey. to Google. 
you know what? Local small business, great. Get your name out there for a bowl. We're sitting here talking about it, right? So it's clearly working. I just had to poke some fun at it when you're coming after the uh, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl there. But, Brett, <laughs> back to the one-possession one games, one-score games. There's a reason that I'm leaving that graphic up on the website, on the What If tab, even above the What If rankings, because I know people like to have fun with the What If, and so do I. It's not real, but it's just a talking point. It, it, there is some things you can glean from it, but most importantly – your net one possession wins. What, what's your score in one possession games? Are you plus? Are you minus? Did you win more of those? Did you lose more of those? A team like Washington, they finished the regular season plus six. They won six more one possession and overtime games than they lost. Throw in the Pac-12 championship game. Now I believe they're plus seven. Then you got a team like, you know, actually there's a bunch that are tied at the bottom. Arkansas, East Carolina, Nebraska, TCU, all those teams score a minus four, meaning they lost four more games than they won classified by that one possession. That is informative. South Alabama here, they're minus two in this category. I said they, they lost three games. That means they would have won one by, by a one possession. So they're minus two overall. I leave that up there because as you're looking to make that transition in next year, and it probably loses some uh, predictive uh, power at this point, Brett, because of the transfer portal and just how much rosters churn over year over year. But this is a stat that historically, or, or a, a category that historically has proven to be uh, predictive in nature in terms of, hey, if you won a lot of one-possession games, you can probably expect the win-loss record to regress next year. If you lost a bunch of those games, you can probably expect the win-loss record to progress next year. So there's a reason I leave that up there. I know we're we're off, off topic here, but I do think it's really important. But no, let's let's stay off topic because we, you know, this does matter. Like we we will talk about this all off season long. You think about the old math uh, trick. You flip a coin a thousand times, and the clo- the more you flip, the closer to fifty percent it goes. That's how chance works. And when you're dealing with one score games, chances are the post game win expectancy somewhere around fifty percent. And you flip enough coins, it should you know regress to the mean. Now, there's two ways to look at that. Number one, were you lucky? Uh, like I'm, I'm going to alienate some people here, but last year's TCU team, incredibly luck, lucky, fortunate, out of their minds, turnovers, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Or are you really, really well coached? Now we have this, the hindsight to say it was a lot of luck for TCU because you know they were not very well coached this year. But when you're talking about a team like Washington, I think they are very well coached. Mm-hmm. That's not a team that is up to luck. I, I know they've had a, you know a degree of luck this year, but that's a lot of. Uh, coaching prowess and stuff like that. So it is important to identify those. And of course, when talking about teams that are a bit unlucky, I I think uh, South Alabama falls into the category of well-coached. They are better than their six and six record may entail. All right. We are moving out West to the Las Vegas bowl. We have Utah, a six and a half point favorite against Northwestern. How about the Wildcats in a bowl game this year? Uh, This game carries an over under of just 41 and a half points. Of course, these are two, defensive-oriented teams. It kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC from Allegiant Stadium, so we don't have to deal with any outside weather. Not that Las Vegas brings a lot of that, but, hey, it is indoors climate control. Kelly, I'm really interested to hear your numbers in this one because even though Utah has a ton of personnel stuff going on, it's kind of been all season long. For the most part, these teams are what they were the last few weeks of the season. So to start, quarterback Bryson Barnes is in the transfer portal, but he will play this game. That's a good thing because Utah's without Cam Rising, of course. Backup Brandon Rose never came back this year, and Nate Johnson transferred to Vanderbilt. They're all not playing in this game. Other major pieces that have not been in the Utah lineup, Brant Keithy, of course, their top target. Their number one receiver, Micah Pittman, who has uh, suffered a season-ending injury earlier in the year. Jonah Ellis suffered a star defensive end. I, he, I think he's going to the NFL. It'll be a pretty high draft pick there. He got hurt for the year in Week 10. Two other defensive starters. I mean, Kelly, this team is a disaster. Mm-hmm. They are the most hurt team significantly in the entire country. 
And we briefly talked about Northwestern and David Braun, who deservedly won Big Ten Coach of the Year and got the full-time gig. We talked about them a little bit at the end of the year, but I don't think we're truly appreciating what Northwestern did to even get to a bowl. Three straight wins to close out the year and secure their six wins, two of which came on the road against Wisconsin and Illinois. Those are not easy games in the Big Ten West, and Northwestern was able to collect themselves and run the table to secure a bowl game. I think that's amazing. I, you know, I haven't heard too many people talk about that. I think it's one of the more impressive runs in the country. Northwestern should have all their starters minus one starting offensive lineman. Fun fact, they were actually the last team standing that did not have a player in the transfer portal. That, of course, is not the case anymore. That is a fun fact. And Brett, six wins. Nebraska sticks their nose up. Or excuse me, Northwestern sticks their nose up at that. They got to seven, man. This team, they were they just did cruising. Get to seven. You're right. Nope, cruising at the end of the year. No, no. They're cruising by the end of the year, as you said. I'm with you. We're not talking enough about Northwestern and, and what Braun did, and he did get the full-time gig, uh, which he should have here, in my opinion. What a year it was for them. Brett, I was at Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis in July, and the news about the hazing allegations, the whole Pat Fitzgerald situation, it had just hit. It was the first and probably only time I will ever see more media members huddled around the Northwestern football head coach than the Ohio State or Michigan football head coach. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment at that time, this poor guy, interim coach David Braun, like what's he supposed to do in this situation? But I also remember Brett saying on this podcast, as well as others, that this season can go one of two ways for Northwestern. They can either crumble under this pressure and chaos um, and and just be a waste for everybody this year and kind of be the the doormat of the, the Big Ten. Or they can rally around each other, play for something bigger than themselves, and surprise a lot of people. So I'm going to give myself credit for saying that. I'm also going to be honest with you. I did not expect the latter of those two options to be the one that materialized. And even if I did, Brett, I certainly didn't expect this team to go bowling. Just a 14% chance assigned uh, in the preseason for this team to reach six-plus wins. But at 7-5, and five, as we mentioned, the Wildcats won three more games than I projected, ranking them number 11 on my overachievers list. Just a phenomenal year, and I am glad Braun won uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year. He certainly deserved it. I, I, I get it. Hey, Harbaugh hasn't lost a regular season game in how long? He's won the Big Ten three years in a row. Now, he was out for six of the games that they played this year, but I, I could understand you could make a case for other people. David Braun, for what he did, absolutely deserved it um, and deserved to get the, the full-time gig as he did. While we can all agree that Northwestern had a great year, few will probably say the same about Utah. But I'm in that camp, Brett. Um, and if you apply the proper context to the Ute season, as you've kind of outlined there, just decimated by injuries at quarterback and elsewhere, I think we can get there. I get it. This program, it was in the Rose Bowl the past two seasons. The expectation level in Salt Lake City has been raised. I know. And that's good for Utah and their fans. But star quarterback Cam Rising didn't play a snap this year, and along with all the other injuries you talked about. And this team still finished with eight wins. Brett, I projected 8.4 wins with Cam Rising in the lineup from day one at full strength across the board, which they clearly were not even close to that level for a large portion of the season, the whole season, because Cam Rising wasn't there. With Kyle Whittingham at the helm, who I believe is a very underrated head coach, we've talked about that on this show before, and Cam Rising behind center, because yes, he is coming back to play yet another year of college football, I firmly believe this program can successfully make the transition to the Big 12 next year and perhaps be the favorite to win the conference in year one. Like I, I don't think that's out of the question. Um, certainly have to see what happens with rosters and the transfer portal uh, going into next season, but I think it's in the cards potentially for Utah to be a favorite there in that conference at full strength. 
which is really important to note here. But you're right, Brett. These teams are kind of what they've been the second half of the year. My model projects Utah minus 11.5 in this game. So the model suggests, again, blind to all the other factors that are at play here during bowl season, as we talked about at length before, my model suggests there's some serious value on Utah laying the six and a half that you mentioned here. Um, we will see. I am very excited. I'm excited about this game. The, I talked earlier about some of the, the, the you know, the Duke Troy game and some of these other ones with teams that have really had great years. I'm excited about this game. Two big, t- well, two Power Five programs who have had big time success in recent years and or this year unexpectedly. I also just like really like I'm like a sucker for colors and uniforms like the red and the purple here. Like this is going to be a fun game, I think. I'm excited for this one. I'll certainly be watching. Uh, but Utah minus eleven and a half is what the model makes it. Yeah, I I really 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 want to back Northwestern, but Kyle Whittingham, man, he's a killer. This team is not going to walk in and put in subpar effort. I don't care who's available or not available. This is going to be an absolute showcase, a clinic of coaches that get the most out of their players. Honestly, if I'm a, a even a power five program and I need to take a shot on somebody to, to be my head coach. I'm going to North Dakota state and hiring whoever's in charge there. If I can, if I can hire them away, that's what I'm getting. They have a proven track record. Look at the track All of them record. that come into the league are ridiculously good from the get go. I mean, the, Chris Kleiman didn't miss a step at Kansas state from nope. a legend. They might even be better than they've been under Bill Snyder. So yeah, that's if I'm, you know, if even a, like a higher level G five program, like, like Troy windows opening. And I like the hire that they made, but um, I'm looking North Dakota state to get those guys. I get it, but totally. Yeah. Well, with, with all that said though, I agree with your numbers, Kelly. I, I lean Utah minus six and a half. Although there is a strong market resistance when it hits seven, there's a reason it touches seven and then it's, it's gone like that. So mm-hmm. people do like Northwestern in this one. All right. Our nightcap and our last bowl game of this slate, we have the Hawaii bowl between Coastal Carolina and San Jose State. San Jose State is a 10-point favorite in this game, and the over-under is at 52.5 at time of recording. Uh, Hawaii after dark, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, guys, on ESPN is when this thing kicks off uh, from the Ching Complex in Honolulu. Looks like it's going to be pretty breezy with winds over 15 miles an hour. And uh, Coastal, of course, we talked about earlier, they obviously have the longest trek of any bowl team to get there. You're going from, I don't know, eight miles away from, I think, the East Coast that Conway is, uh, all the way to uh, you know the islands, so they, they, they'll leave early. They'll have a good time there. They'll be there plenty early, but just keep that in mind. They're going a long ways, and they're going to be without some people too because star quarterback Grayson Call, who was hurt, he was never going to play in this game, but he did transfer to NC State. So we're going to be looking at Ethan Valco, who's going to get the start here. They're also down their second leading rusher, their number two wide receiver, their backup quarterback Jared Guess is in the portal. In total, nineteen kids are in the portal from Coastal Carolina. They're mostly rotational guys, but, dude, that's tied for most in the country with A&M. That is a red flag for me. I don't love seeing that, even if it's just the rotational guys. That, to me, is like, how much is this team going to Hawaii for a vacation versus are you going to play a football game? We see that all the time. Coastal also dropped their last two games at Army, which is a tough place to play, but then they got absolutely dusted by James Madison, 56-14 to in the finale at home. Uh, that was with the Sun Belt Championship uh, game on the line, and they just got crushed. Uh, but they did have a nice five-game run in the middle of the season, and honestly, the defense played really well during that course there. San Jose State, though, completely different team after their bye week. They started 1-4. and four. They finished 7-5 and five with wins over Fresno, UNLV. They won their last seven games after a very narrow loss at Boise, which like pretty good game for them. 
Uh, they're without two absolute studs, though. I'm not talking about just a couple of starters. These are maybe their two best players on their whole team. They're starting left tackle and tight end. Uh, those are pretty big losses, if you ask me. The game is a big deal to San Jose State quarterback Chevon Cordiero, who started his career at Hawaii and will now end his career at Hawaii in his last game. He's also from Honolulu, so if we're looking at who could be more motivated to play the football game, uh, that's the Spartans for me, hands down. Absolutely agree with that, especially with the uh, the Hawaii angle there for Chevin Cordero. After week six, Brett, these two teams were combined three and eight. Since then, they are combined 11 and two. San Jose State hasn't not lost bad. since week six. Not, not bad at all. They've rattled off six consecutive wins to finish in the top 35 of my overachievers list while improving their season-long power rating by more than a touchdown since early in the year. Coastal Carolina, they were my preseason favorite in the Sun Belt East. I didn't know Grayson McCall was going to get hurt and miss a bunch of games. Uh, but as you mentioned, they enter the final week of the regular season with a chance to win the division before falling, I'll say just short. Um, the way that game played out, it probably wasn't just short, but they fell a game short. Uh, without Grayson McCall down the stretch, though, I actually think the Shans had a pretty darn good year, like everything considered, kind of like the Utah thing, like consider everything that happened here. It will be interesting to see how this team looks in 2024, Brett, post Chadwell and McCall. It's been a wild ride for Coastal Carolina, really since they entered FBS, but certainly since the 2020, you know, breakout year during the COVID disrupted season. They don't have Jeremy Chadwell anymore. Of course, he's been gone for a year. Now Grayson McCall moves on. Just want to see how does this Coastal Carolina program continue to build on the momentum that they have built. I'm a little concerned, if I'm being honest, about you know their future and their standing in the Sun Belt. I'm not concerned about their future being a member of the Sun Belt. Can they continue to be a power in the Sun Belt? I'm not sure. As I look around that conference, there's a lot of really good and rising programs. Let's see if Coastal can hang on and, and be a part of that conversation long term. Yeah, I started the year with a very firm, I fade Tim Beck. I don't like his offense. I don't like what he does. Fade him, fade him, fade him. And it worked out really well for the beginning of the year. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know for certain. Uh, I couldn't find any reports on it at least, but I'm 100% convinced that Tim Beck was in charge of the offensive play calling duty to start the year, and he handed it off. Because all of a sudden, this team went from vanilla uh, completely opposite from what they've done. No creativity whatsoever to a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot more of the Jamie Chadwell type things. I, I don't know if, if the offensive coordinator uh, popped in and said, hey, we need, to, we need to throw on some tape from last year you know, back, and we need to see what they were doing last year because what we're doing now is not working. But all of a sudden, there was just a click on the offense where they started to move the ball. There's a lot more option, a lot more RPO, a lot more creativity, and now you know they go on and win nine games. So... I, I'm going to be honest. I think the right side here is Coastal plus 10, plus 10 and a half if you can find it, which is better. I mean, Vasco, plenty of experience in this offense. I think Coastal's defense is playing better than maybe we're giving them credit for. Uh, the number of portal guys is alarming, but again, most of them are not starters, so these aren't key pivotal players. So this might be a game, though, that I'm a little bit more comfortable live betting. I want to see how Coastal comes out of the gate and move on from there because if they come out flat, which – a lot of signs to me are pointing that this is a team that's there for vacation instead of a game. I then I can bet against them, but if I have to do something pre-live, I think it's Coastal plus ten and a half here. Anyway, that is our uh, show, our rundown of the December 23rd Bulls. Hop on over to our Discord server if you're not already a member there, where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates. In our college football channel there, you can join a sharp and very active community. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lines YouTube for college football odds and betting videos for the remainder of bowl season and the college football playoff that is swiftly uh, creeping up on us here. 
Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice too, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. And drop us a good review if you like the show. Let us know in the comments what you think of these games, where you're leaning. Uh, Kelly, before we close up shop, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. You can find me on X at KFord Ratings, the website KFordRatings.com, and of course over at Blinds.com, Brett. Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.